often vulgar, always explicit, and sometimes funny. Slap box. Slap box. Welcome to the Slapbox Podcast. This is episode 432. I am your host, Josh Albrecht, sitting here once again inside the Slapbox Bunker, the headquarters, the old HQ, and uh, still waiting out the pandemic, but I have hopes, hopes that hopefully one of these vaccines out of the, I don't know how many we've got going on, will, you know end this shit and I can go back outside and breathe air and not worry about dying <laughs> I mean I'm not that concerned about dying but you know what it's possible it's possible I mean I'm gonna die eventually right preferably not be stuck on a ventilator I'm gonna like die off like the uh, <laughs> cliffs of uh, mower or something like sl- slip over the edge after having a few too many Guinness you know I gotta get back to traveling that's the thing man I really miss really miss i know i bitch about it a lot just it's uh it's like such a faint memory now it's been well over a year since my last trip overseas and it's just it's a very fleeting memory uh it's uh i don't know it's like it it was a different lifetime <laughs> hell just going to like a concert now seems like a different lifetime and i i guess that's about a year ago now no, I guess more than a year ago now that uh, my last concert. I went and saw Tool when they uh, played at uh, the Enterprise Center where the Blues play. Which was co- coincidentally, too, also the uh, moment in which the St. Louis Blues played in the Stanley Cup Finals. It was pretty awesome. They were in Boston at the time. Obviously, they weren't in St. Louis. But... Yeah, it's pretty cool to see Tool there as the Blues were winning, too, because they, for whatever reason, were winning the road games, you know? Couldn't win it at home. But it was awesome to see him win anyway. But, uh, yeah, I miss me some traveling. Now, I know a lot of people uh, around here uh, pro-life. They're complaining. Oh, man, I'm drinking this shit. I'm drinking this Guinness. Extra stout. The extra stout's a little rough. It came back up a little back in my mouth there. That was uh, that was not pleasant. They're not screwing around with the extra stout. Regular Guinness is plenty stout. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, a lot of the people I know around this area, I mean, they're pro-life. And uh, they're really concerned about the fact that there's, uh, some, I guess, one or maybe multiple of the vaccines that have used... Uh, Embryos from uh, aborted fetuses, and I gotta say, I uh, I'm just gonna jump the line. You know what? I'll take that. I'll take that vaccine. Just give me the one. You know, it's not like they're doing some soylent green stuff where they're just uh, purposely using people. Like there's uh, <laughs> they're not aborting the babies specifically for the drug. It's just they're already dead and they're using the DNA. And I feel like there could be some superpowers in that somehow, you know. It's <laughs> there's no reason for me to think that, but it's it's like uh, when you uh, kill an animal, you want to eat it. Is it like if you're hunting it, it's like you're not wasting it. Is where it's life giving life. Like I like I I'll be uh, 
I'll put that in my arm. I'll put that in my vein. You know? Now, if they were murdering, they just took these children and, like, violently murdered them, you know, after they were uh, fully developed and out of the womb and stuff, like, I might have a problem with that. Maybe. Just saying, perhaps. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I might have a conscience somewhere inside. Not sure where. But speaking of Soylent Green, uh, if you're unfamiliar, it's an old Charlton Heston movie. Um, I'm not sure when that came out. It was a long time ago. But uh, they were feeding people, I guess, with the Soylent Green, and they found out at the end. Uh, here, I'll just play a little clip of the ending. It's just classic cinema here. Chuck Heston. There's uh, Here we go. They're making our food out of people. Next thing, they'll be breeding us like cattle. For food. The food. You gotta tell him. You gotta tell him. Promise, Tiger. I promise. I'll tell the exchange. You tell everybody. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell him. Silent Green is people. <laughs> we gotta stop him. Somehow. Stop him somehow. Silent Green is people. Makes me really want to watch that movie. I'm pretty sure I've seen it, but it was like I was a kid when I saw it. Uh, soil and green as people makes me think though like I know you know we're more and more uh, I mean there's obviously a lot of people that want to get away from fossil fuels at the moment Um, but then again there's more and more of a push that like no we need to drill baby drill and uh, just get get more and more oil let's do it up you know but uh which I find odd because, I mean, it's well known that, I mean, fossil fuels are going to run out. That's just a fact. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if fossil fuels were made by dinosaurs and such and other animals and everything is and uh, insects and whatever, but aged over millions of years. Uh, it's not a thing that we can just remake unless unless we found a way like you know we make uh synthetic diamonds and you know diamonds are made from cold and and such or some i'm uh (laughs) through you know uh you know i was in millions of years Let's see, I gotta find out the facts on diamonds. They're made from carbon. They're uh so they form as carbon atoms under a high temperature and pressure, they bond together to start growing crystals. That's why a diamond is such hard material. Yes. Uh, how do they form? Don't form from coal, as I just said. <laughs> but that's what it showed in the Superman movie, damn it. <laughs> he took the piece of coal and formed it into a diamond. Uh yeah. Anyway, diamonds uh Many people believe that diamonds are formed from the metamorphism of coal. The idea continues to be the how diamonds form story in many science classrooms. I was fucking lied to again. Uh, this is geology.com, by the way. This, uh, this is what they're suggesting here. Another problem with the idea is that coal seams are sedimentary rocks that usually occur as horizontal or nearly horizontal rock units. However, the source of rocks of diamonds are vertical pipes filled with 
igneous rocks. For processes are thought to be responsible for virtually all the natural diamonds that have been found at uh, or near Earth's surface. One of these processes accounts for nearly 100% of all diamonds that have ever been mined. The remaining three are insignificant sources of commercial diamonds. These processes rarely, if ever, involve coal. But I believe it's over a course of long see. Uh, diamond formation in Earth's mantle. Geologists believe the diamonds in all of Earth's commercial diamond deposits were formed in the mantle and delivered to the surface by deep source volcanic eruptions. These eruptions produce the kimberlite and lamproite pipes that are sought after by diamond prospectors. There's a huge article on this. This is a... Oh, they think possibly from uh, asteroid impact. Well, that's interesting. Diamonds are from space. Meteorites and asteroids. Oh, that's that's kind of cool. I like that theory. I mean, we know we've been hit hard through the years from asteroids. Uh, point is, I was getting back to though. Perhaps <laughs> with uh, let's see here, fossil fuels. Back to that. It takes millions of years. Um, it's, uh, I found an article here on Octopus Dot Energy. Um, and it talks about when we will uh, run out of fossil fuels. And uh, I guess, you know, there's varying uh, ideas of when that's going to happen. And it depends on what fossil fuel you're talking about, coal, natural gas, or oil. But uh, it seems that a lot of people seem to think it's going to be about 2060 when we run out of this shit. Uh, oil's going to run out. Depends on, you know, consumption. <laughs> The big thing, if we continue the pace we're at, uh, gasoline, I guess oil would be running out around 2050 or so, um, <laughs> which isn't really that long, it's considering I've been alive for 39 years, uh, thinking that of being alive another 30 years, I mean, that that put me at six, ooh, 69, <laughs> sorry, Mathia. Juvenile part of myself uh, came out yet again, coming all over me. Um, anywho, uh, so yeah, it takes millions of years. Uh, do what? Let's see, this, this is what it says for fossil fuels. Fossil fuels aren't just outdated; they're fossils. Every sense of the word, four millions of years ago, fossil fuels are created from the remains of living organisms like plants and animals, which were trapped under deposits and buried. Over time, these remains were compressed and fossilized, creating carbon-rich fuel sources such as coal, oil, and natural gas. Since the fuels take such a long time to be created, we can't simply wait for more to be formed. We are also consuming these fuels at an incredible rate. The reserves are running out fast. However, it's not the fact that they're running out that makes them such a terrible source of energy. You know, it puts all that CO2 into the atmosphere and all that good shit. Great global warming, as they say. Uh, <clears throat> but what I was saying is, perhaps we could think of a uh, <laughs> Soylent Green type way of things. I mean, take animals and people that are dead. We got a lot of people, dead people already. There's a lot of, you know, graveyards and such. We need to find a way to mass produce that. And uh, if we want to continue fossil fuels and, 
you know, sure, it's going to hurt the environment more and stuff, but and maybe there wouldn't be enough dead people anyway because the, the amount of uh, just gasoline and probably a daily basis. You know, I'm going to look at estimates on that. Uh, how much gas is used in the world in a daily... Used in the... Daily. World gas consumption. Uh, Every year. I want to know on a daily basis. Uh, Gasoline. Maybe I should put gasoline. Yeah, that... Wait a minute. (laughs) Okay, this is the globaleconomy.com here. Uh... Gasoline com- consumption consumption. <laughs> this is guided by countries, not necessarily a. Wow, I mean, America. There's there's somewhere we lead by a lot. Um, this is as of 2017, and they don't have a. Or do they have newer ones? Let's go 2019. What's that number change to? Didn't really change much. Um. This is measured. Let's see, thousands. A uh, thousand barrels per day. So I guess you times whatever this number is by a thousand is what they're saying. Um, gasoline consumption thousand barrels per day, 2019. The average for 2019, based on 36 countries, was 404.72 thousand barrels per day. Highest value was in the USA with 9,309.34 thousand barrels per day. Most value was in Iceland at 2.83 thousand barrels per day. <laughs> That's a lot of fucking barrels of gasoline in a day. Uh, hmm. Yeah. To be able... Uh, <laughs> I wonder if they've got this. How many, how many dinosaurs would it take for one barrel of gas... Maybe this will give me a. Take two, make barrel of oil. There we go. Barrel of oil. <laughs> I wonder if there's even an answer for that. Obviously, people have asked this question before. And, uh. Uh. See, this is on Cura, um, which means Spanish for question, is it not? Um. Hakan Han writes, uh, Born in Norway, practically oil in my veins, work with oil, and charts of oil. According to a study done by Jeff Dukes back in 1997, the efficiency rate of making oil from carbon in plant material is about 10,000 to 1. That means a lot of plants and living material was needed to make the oil eventually. More concrete terms, about 10 metric tons of plant carbon was needed to make one kilo of oil. Holy shit. Yeah, I don't think... Even if we used all the dead people... We'd have to have, like, this massive extermination of people for that... Uh, like, the dinosaurs when the asteroid hit. If I'm reading this correctly. Uh, further, since plants contain about 50% carbon, it means that 20 tons of plants turned into one kilo of oil. One gallon of oil is about 3.2 kilos, and one gallon of gasoline takes about 4.6 kilos of oil to make. 
So each gallon of gasoline took 90 tons of plants to get from plants to car tank. I don't know that I ever really looked at the stats on this shit, but goddamn. Uh, and I don't even believe in God, but goddamn anyway. Uh, if he is right about the incredibly low conversion rate, it means that the amount of oil we burn every year is equivalent to burning 20% of the entire world's plant mass, if you do the math, in plant-to-oil equivalent terms. This is, of course, a, again, a study by Jeff Dukes. Um, so a dinosaur or equivalent mass of plankton, assuming animals did not turn into oil, which I think none has proven they did not. After all, there is plenty of sulfur and oil, which plants do do not contain much of, but animals do. So a big 20-ton dino would turn into less than a kilo of oil and maybe half a bottle of gasoline. All right, so the soil and green thing's not going to work out. <laughs> Even if we had a mass extinction of people, I mean, that would fuel some some uh, future race of uh, beings, maybe for, you know, a couple of days <laughs> at that rate. Uh, but we got a lot of plants going on now, too. Maybe that would help. I don't know that the uh, buildings and such would turn into any kind of fuel. I guess we're just going to have to, like, go into space and, you know, reading this thing about diamonds here and uh, them talking about perhaps that came from asteroids hitting us. We just need to go start harvesting all the shit off these asteroids. Let's just go out there Armageddon style and just start nuking asteroids and see what happens, you know? Maybe we'll find some kind of fuel out of that. <laughs> Let's start destroying other planets. That sounds fantastic. I'm sure Mars has got something in there. We can get some. Some. Uh, they probably had plants at one point in time. <laughs> that, that, I bet that's a question people have asked. Does Mars have fossil fuels? I would imagine it would cost a fortune to, uh, and you'd waste a lot of fossil fuels trying to get fossil fuels back from Mars. But, I mean, if we just colonize it, uh, it has water. <laughs> I believe they've completed, you know, made that a fact that they found evidence of water on Mars, or at least that there once was. Um, uh, here we go. Noi. Noi. Oil and natural gas on Mars at, uh, let's see here, harvard.edu. Uh, John F. McGowan here wrote this article, and it's on Earth. According to conventional theory, the largest by mass and volume identifiable trace of past life is subsurface oil and natural gas deposits, which I guess we haven't really found much life on Mars, so that would be... Probably <laughs> already thinking about it, but I thought, you know, maybe plants existed. Nearly all coil, uh, coil, coal and oil on Earth and most sedimentary uh, source rocks associated with coal, oil, and natural gas contain molecules of biological origin and is proof of past life. If Mars possessed an Earth-like biosphere in the past, Mars may contain subsurface deposits of oil and natural gas indicating past life, and that was still for me to think that, but, you know, it's possible they had past life. We don't know that for sure. I mean, I think I would have heard if we would have found oil. That's uh, silly for me to think. But uh, life, life might still exist in these deposits. Subsurface oil and natural gas on Mars would probably cause seepage of hydrocarbon gases such as methane as at favorable locations on the Martian surface. 
Further, if Mars contains substantial subsurface life, the most detectable signature of this life on the Martian surface would be gases generated by the life percolating up to the surface and venting into the Martian atmosphere. Uh, yeah, of course there's not... Uh, Oh, there's an article in 2018. NASA rover hits organic pay dirt on Mars. So if there's organic material, that could be fossil fuel. Yeah, I mean, you don't need... You don't necessarily need, like, dinosaurs or animals of that source. You just have molecular level things to create just a fuck ton of it through the years. I mean, you know, Mars is a big planet. But they, hmm, that would be interesting. Not that we need to fuck up our atmosphere anymore. They really should probably just find another way for us to uh, fuel our cars and oil our machines and and what have you and heat our homes. <laughs> There's got to be some way, right? I mean, Jankum. Look at look at Jankum. Of course, that's kind of a fossil. <laughs> I don't know if that's a fossil fuel, but that's like creating methane, and methane's really not good for huffing, and your, which is you know what you're supposed to do with jankum. You're supposed to huff it. You're huffing shit. Uh, but I guess that's really not good for the atmosphere either. That's a lot of methane. They say like all the cows we're using for hamburgers are fucking up the atmosphere by all of their farts with all the methane, which I don't... I mean, I've been around cattle before, but I don't know that I've smelled cow farts. The manure smells bad enough. Imagine a cow fart smells pretty, pretty, pretty nasty. I think I'm, uh, it's fucking my atmosphere up right now. <laughs> it's, uh, ooh, the extra stout Guinness. That's some harsh stuff. Harsh, harsh stuff. Uh, <laughs> I just, uh, had a, a sort of thought, uh, of something I wanted to talk about earlier. I, I had uh, watched the classic Burt Kreischer story, not The Machine, which is a classic. If you're unfamiliar with Burt Kreischer, he's a stand-up comedian that's always, like, shirtless. He's a very funny comedian. I know he's got at least one, I think a couple of uh, specials on uh, Netflix, as well as he hosts a, I believe he hosts a podcast, if I'm not uh, mistaken. And uh, the uh, Russian story is really great, too. The Machine, that's probably his most well-known story is when he traveled to Russia and partied with the Russian mob. There's another story called uh, Flying Dildos. And fuck, I'm just going to pull it up. Fuck it. I'm going to pull up Flying Dildos. I'll pull up the... uh, (laughs) And I'll get to why I was looking up Flying Dildos after. But... uh... (laughs) I got a pretty funny story about di- a dildo being flying. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, let's see here. This is the shorter version. There's a, a much better version, uh, on the, this is not happening, but it's like a 60 minute version. I'm not going to, I'm going to listen to that whole thing. But if you just look at Burt Kreischer flying dildos, but here we go. So we went to Amsterdam, me and my buddies, they wanted to go to the Anne Frank house. I used to think Anne Frank and Helen Keller were the same person. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I said Anne Frank house, I was like, I'm fucking in. I've been hearing jokes about this chick my whole life. Let's do it. So one day we're walking through Amsterdam and I see a sign that says flying dildos. 
And I literally am like, guys, you wanted culture, it's through these doors. So me and my four friends go into this live sex show. And there's like 30 dudes in there. There's like a French, two French, three French Canadians, three UCF football players, this dude from Australia, and this kid whose dad was a dentist in Nashville. So we're all sitting there. And someone's like, hey, probably got those details. Dudes. And we're like, yeah, what, what is it? What do they do? They shoot them from one to the other and catch them. So house lights drop. We're pretty buzzed. First girl comes out, and we are all of us are like, uh. it is like a five minute gynecological exam on herself, and no one is enjoying it. And it's silent. So I start talking, and I look at her, and I go, "Do you know, um, like, do you do? Are you doing flying dildos?" And she's like, "No." And then everyone in the room, you could feel like the energy drop. They're like, "Wrap it up." Yeah, and so like, she gets off stage, and then two girls come out. And we're like, oh, here we go. This is it. They're like making out, caressing their ears. We're like, hey, ladies, we just watched a woman fist herself. Like, <laughs> you can't go backwards in the story. Like, <laughs> and so I just interrupt them. And I go, are you guys going to be doing flying dildos? And they're like, no. And immediately the UCF football team just starts clapping like, time to leave, ladies. <laughs> they're like, oh, I guess we're done. And they just yeah. walk off. So then uh, a guy and a girl comes out. And immediately you can feel the energy in the room like, oh, this isn't going to be it. And it's a, like a little moment I say to my buddies, I go, I wish we had just gone to the Anne Frank house. And, and, and immediately the guy's mood changes. He goes, hey, buddy, don't bring up Anne Frank in here, okay? And like chastises me. And then I'm like, fuck him. So I start heckling his dick because he's not hard. And so he starts to try to work up a chub, but he can't because I'm like, think about Anne Frank. And he's like, no, man. And he gets pissed off and he storms off. Oh. Now I'm in charge. I literally am doing high school chants. And I'm like, when I say flying, you say dildos, flying, dildos, flying, dildos. The house lights go on and off to try to calm us down they're not having it and all of a sudden this woman comes out and she's got a leather biker cap on a bustier like a thong leather boots and she's got a medicine bag with her and she slams it on the stool on the stage and she goes gentlemen please calm down calm down and we all cried out and she goes I am flying dildos and the place goes fucking bananas I mean people are chest bumping it goes crazy and then she goes calm down calm down calm down I will need one volunteer from the audience I mean, and what? literally 29 of these guys look at me like you're up asshole <laughs> yeah. and I hop up on stage I'm like I told you I'd bring it we got it we're getting it I'm so caught up in the moment that she puts like one handcuff on me and then she puts another handcuff on me I'm like whoa yeah. and I look at her I'm like hey what are we doing and she kicks and sweeps my legs out from under me and I land on my side and these guys are like that's what we've been looking for something real and they're like yeah she starts ripping my pants off me. I'm wearing khakis. And my dick pops out of my boxers. And she stands over my face and she goes, Gentlemen, this is flying dildos. Get your cameras out and take a picture. And I look up and she is holding a 10-inch black dildo. And she excalibers it into my mouth. And now I'm gagging. The wind's still knocked out of me. My dick's sticking out. I'm wiggling around. These turncoats and just start taking pictures. And I'm just then she left the stage and they uncuffed me and then we walked out and I was like well I'll give you some cheering up let's go to the Anne Frank house (laughs) oh Bergkreischer the machine that's from the the Chive podcast which I don't believe that's the one he hosts I think that's somebody else's podcast but Classic Bird Crasher. I think we talked about flying dildos many years ago on the podcast, back when uh, the podcast was in uh, Shelley's old apartment in Edwardsville, above Fiona's, which is now a different place. I met, I believe there's still a diner there, but it's not Fiona's. Call me crazy. Maybe it. Maybe they went back. Um, 
anyway, the flying dildos, what led me to go back to listen to the flying dildos. is a story, uh, if Trebejo listens to this, uh, I talked last week, unfortunately his uh, family home was, uh, this is not funny, but this is, you know, horrible, but his family, his childhood home burnt to the ground. And so, uh, he was staying back there with his parents and, uh, now he's, uh, he's staying with a friend, I guess, this girl, uh, he kind of knows. And, uh, my roommate Tony knows this. We, we, she she re- shall remain nameless. Uh, and, uh, Tony had, had known this, uh, female. And, uh, I, I guess they did not, her and her friend Sarah did not like this other female. And they were out driving one day. And for, uh, some reason, Sarah had a, <laughs> a very large dildo in her car. Because, <laughs> you know, you got to have that on the go. You know, any moment you might have to insert or what have you, or maybe she's flying dildos. I don't know. Um, But uh, they had thought they had seen this uh, particular woman uh, walking on the side of the street. And then they had the thought of going ahead and launching said dildo at this girl. And it landed apparently in front of her. And uh, come to find out, as they pass her, they realize, oh shit, that wasn't her. (laughs) So they just randomly threw a large fucking dildo at a stranger on the street. And uh, they created their own flying dildos. Um, (laughs) Apparently they just kept driving. I'm not sure if Sarah went back later and grabbed the dildo, cleaned it off, or what. I'm not, you know, I don't know what you need a travel dildo for but uh you know to each their own to each their own uh perhaps just to throw at people <laughs> on the side of the road oh <laughs> uh, yeah so there's flying dildos yeah I, that would be one hell of a day just walking along all of a sudden a fucking dildo just comes flying at you I didn't ask what color it was. I'm hoping it was like one of those big purple ones. I don't know. I just really have a... Those look really funny to me. Big purple floppy dildos. And I hope it was used. I hope she had like a... Not like clean. Maybe it had some pubes on it. Just like launching this nasty ass fucking dildo. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of... Uh, hanging with uh, Trebejo and I we probably uh, mentioned this on uh, the podcast years ago now I'm looking at purple dildos uh, too good too good ooh purple strap on um, we went to uh, I think it was I think it was PT's I feel like it was PT's over in Sage. it was definitely in Sage. It was at the time there was PT, yeah, PTs and Diamond Cabaret. Um, so uh, but uh, yeah, I think it was the because there's a Centerville location, and then there's like the Sauge or Center. Is that the same? A baby. Diamond Cabaret is still around. Well, I think 
It wasn't the diamond. It was PTs that uh, that we uh, went to. Um, <laughs> oh, they have the uh, they have a Twitter Twitter page. That uh, man, I haven't been to the strip club years. I have no real desire to want to go back to that. Um, well, they have that's a big. Uh, big apparently a franchise there in Denver too um fun fact but yeah we went to PT's and uh there was like uh shit uh it was it was had to have been a, a weekend I would think um <clears throat> but uh they don't uh don't have much pictures on here I figured they would uh they would have more pictures, but uh, kind of have some shitty pictures of the stage, which gives me kind of flashbacks. But I believe it was the Centerville location we were at. Uh, but yeah, it looks pretty much like. <laughs> uh, so we go up there, and there wasn't a whole, uh, there wasn't like a whole lot of people up there at the time. And we go there, and uh. There was a guy with what appeared to be his girlfriend uh, sitting at one of the stages. Now, Trebejo and I, we were like, you know, let's not go to the stages. I don't want to feel like I keep have to keep handing these girls money. Let's just hang back, have like, oh, I don't, I don't think I've ever really drank at a, <laughs> at a strip club. I always wanted to stay sober, but uh, we were just hanging back, watching. I think had like maybe a private dance or two or something of that nature. We're like, let's let's not get near the cra- the stage because that shit gets crazy. But we're gonna watch. We're gonna sit back in the wa- and we're just gonna watch, get a feel for the atmosphere, and do some people watching. And there's this guy with his girlfriend, uh, presumably, and the stripper automatically sees the guy with his girlfriend and just hones in, just tractor beam, pulling it right in. And so she wants to, like, fuck with this guy in front of his girlfriend. So uh, she pulls the guy up and uh, starts pulling his pants down. And the girlfriend's, like, trying to pull his pants back up. And the stripper's just not having it. She continues to go. And then she just grabs his boxers and, like, shreds his boxers. And uh, then as this is happening, and now this guy's ass is just hanging right out. Just hairy ass hanging right out where these other two uh, strippers, now I don't recall any of these strippers' names, unfortunately. Um, lovely women, I'm sure. Uh, but <laughs> probably like Diamond or Jasmine or Cinnamon, you know, something of that nature. Nitro, I don't know. <laughs> but they're, they're walking by as they have a very large, very large, and I'm talking very, very huge dildo double-sided dildo that is and uh the one slaps the other one like hey like pat smacks around the arm like hey look at this look at this dipshit over here with his ass asshole hanging out and so then like the one that uh has the dildo in hands like oh she goes over there and then takes the the head the tip of the dildo and just shoves it right up his ass. <laughs> and the look of the, I think he let up kind of, 
kind of kind of noise or something of that nature but the look on his face of sheer like i don't know terror <laughs> it was Trebejo and I had our eyes opened at that moment, uh, very, very wide open. Our third eye was open. Um, and uh, that then uh, the stripper on the table uh, just, you know, is loving this. And uh, the girlfriend is not not happy. She is she is not having this. And he the boyfriend just looks completely emasculated at this point. I have to wonder, though, it was like, ooh, I kind of kind of enjoyed that maybe i should hit up jj's while after this and uh experience the other side but i don't know i don't know if he thought that way or if he just you know never wanted to go out in public again after that but the stripper on the stage after the dildo in the ass she decides to take his i think it was his beer of all beers put her finger over to the top of the beer and just shake it up get those suds going get that carbonation just rocking Get a nice fucking just just and then she just shoots it all down the crack of his fucking ass right in the asshole and it was just like oh beautiful beautiful it had to be a great ride home was, uh, I wonder if that girl ever the girlfriend that is wanted to ever like uh, take her boyfriend or any other guy to a strip club after that because she seemed like you you know I think a lot of girlfriends if they're gonna take their boyfriend to a strip club just like yeah do where the fuck you know like <laughs> torture him because it didn't it it didn't look like the guy was having fun or being it was very pleasurable to him uh, like he was definitely humiliated I feel like the those that couple didn't last very long after that it was probably over uh, soon after and uh, they probably both never wanted to talk about it again. Uh, but it was amazing for Trebejo and I. We enjoyed the show. We were just like, and we're like, man, I think we made the right call here. Not sitting at the table. Great call. Fun fact, that night, too, we also saw strippers paid with drugs as uh, they were just thrown out. I don't know if it was Coke or what. It looked white, but, you know, it, the lights are hard to tell in a strip club, but it was some powdery substance in a baggie with uh, some kind of a twisty tie, I think, on the baggie. Could have been Coke. I don't know. Could have been sugar. Maybe it was like in when I was in Munich and they had the Bavarian Coke, which is just like this candy stuff. But I highly doubt that. I feel like it was real drugs. I mean, it was a strip club. And uh, <laughs> I think she took the drugs. I'm not sure. I didn't. Uh, I'm sure if she didn't partake in the drugs herself, she probably could have found somebody there that could at least give her some money for said drugs. Uh uh, it was it was an interesting night and uh <laughs> for whatever reason i don't uh, ever feel like like hey you know what let's go to uh let's go to a strip club <laughs> uh that's not a big thing for me uh not like uh not something i i, I care to do um <laughs> uh that is uh man I don't, uh, that would just suck. <laughs> thinking of like a dildo up the ass, then beer down it. And I doubt he probably had a change of clothes in the car. I wonder if, uh, the girlfriend like made him like dry off or anything beforehand. Um, as I'm looking at the, the PT Centerville, uh, Twitter feed. Oh, $15 night admissions. In June, apparently there, 
I wonder what it's like to be in a strip club during COVID. Well, here's two girls making out. Do, are they wearing masks? They should be wearing masks. That was back in May. That was apparently hasn't stopped guys from going out and jerking off the strippers. Good things. You no, know, some things in life haven't changed. <laughs> I I can't get a good like. I'm trying to see if there's any footage of like. I don't. I guess they'd get in trouble for having pictures of the patrons there but i want to see if there's really like social distancing but again like when trebejo and i were there it's not like there was a lot of guys it's not like you want to sit right next to the other guy although it sounded like a burt kreischer story with the flying dildos during that sex show that they were just like all over oh here we go (laughs) okay uh this is a pt centerville's uh twitter page in case you forgot here are our hours yeah, Monday, 12 p.m. to 4 a.m. I know, I'm an early bird. I want to hit there at 12 p.m. <laughs> open at 4 a.m.? Jesus, man. Friday and Saturday, open to 6 a.m. Can't imagine being at a strip club at 6 a.m., like leaving after being in there all fucking night. But uh, it says at the bottom here, be sure to bring your mask. It seems like it'd be even less safe for a stripper at that point if like all the guys are wearing masks like ooh I feel like I can get away with murder now <clears throat> I don't really see a whole lot of uh yeah talk uh, other than the just one thing about bring your mask now we gotta find you know what I'll just do a google search uh and find out information about strip clubs and quarantine Uh, during coronavirus. Here we go. Let's find some good articles on this. I want to see what's it like to work at a strip club during the coronavirus. It's on Vox.com. This is good. It's good. There's a, is there a video? I know Vox does a lot of vid- YouTube vids. Uh, oh, Ancestry.com. I thought it was a video. Damn it. It was a... Uh, what is this? There's a, There is a feature video? Can I get a little something? Uh, this is not. <laughs> it's got to do with the election. That has nothing to do with. <laughs> I guess there's no video. I, I'll have to read the article. Again, this uh, Vox.com. Uh, there's no way to socially distance in a strip club. A dancer on working through the pandemic. Um, at least not for the girls. I wouldn't think. You guys don't have to get a dance. Um. It's never felt worse inside the strip club where Deanna works. Masks are a mandatory accessory for all customers and workers, which decimates the strategic smiles strippers use to suss out potential clients. The traditional cavalcade of loud, spendy men enjoying a Friday happy hour before heading home for the weekend have disappeared. Today she's lucky if she spots a party of three. Backstage, a culture of anxiety grips the talent. The dancers are fearful of catching COVID-19. Sure, but more than that, the difficulty of making good tips during a pandemic has become abundantly clear, and I bet they're probably not getting any uh, unemployment benefits if they're not working as well. But uh, that hasn't stopped Diana, who is 24 and of Pakistani uh, descent, 
spoke on condition of anonymity uh, to protect her employment from uh, trying. She's still gearing up for evenings at the club, mask on, baby wipes in tow for the dwindling crowds willing to risk it all for a night on the town. She lives in Houston, Texas, a city famous for its strip joints, and as of early May, she was given a green light to return to the stage. Texas has become a new hotspot for America's ongoing coronavirus epidemic due to the state's questionable reopening strategy. But Diana tells me that her club has been more or less open, barring a few false starts. Since the state ended its stay-at-home order, she can work whenever she wants. Despite that freedom, Diana tells me that she typically only heads to her club when she knows one of her regulars is at the bar. Dancing for a mostly empty room for a mostly stingy clientele is about as depressing as it is economically inefficient. We talked about that as well as how she's tried to match her mask to a belly dancer look and the cognitive dissonance of social distancing during a lap dance. Uh, so when did you get your first get the call? The club was shutting down. We were all prepared in April. Yeah, I just want to get to know like what the 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 scene is in like there, but I guess it's just there's just not. Uh, here we go. Let's see. when you got the call. Now here, uh, what's it like been uh, been like to dance in a mask? It's kind of weird. It's how you judge if someone likes you is by smiling at them. So the way to signal is more oriented around body language. Our managers are more strict now. You can't accept tips from guys who aren't wearing a mask, which is good, but it's changed the way you communicate with people. There's a lot of hand gestures. Dancing in a mask is much more physically exhausting, too. Now that I've worked for a while in one, I get so sweaty and you get so lightheaded from your breath being trapped. Do you have a mask that is incorporated into your gear? I sewed my own mask. It has a filter in it. I play on the exoticism thing, so my mask is a gold chain male mask. Ooh, gold chain male. Nice. Uh, it looks like the belly dancing thing. I've definitely been able to incorporate it. Nobody is using a hospital mask. The girls are wearing cute masks, a lot of silk. You can tell that we're sewing these out of old clothes and stuff. And has the clientele at the club been different? Uh, it's completely different experience. It feels very different. When you were a strip club before, there was a general level of joy, and now that's completely gone. Guys aren't coming in with a big group of friends. Guys are coming in alone. Our clientele is usually a bunch of dudes just off work because we are next to all the oil and gas companies and are here for a happy hour. It's now, it's mostly regulars and people who are members of our VIP club. There are way less people who want to have fun and spend a lot of money. It's the guys who are a little more stingy for sure. Is that a bad vibe? Yeah, yeah, it feels very weird. It's almost a don't ask, don't tell thing. Nobody brings up the pandemic because nobody wants to acknowledge that it's happening. Oh, here we go. Here's a good question. Uh, Are lap dances still allowed? Yes, lap dances are allowed. There's no way to socially distance in a strip club. You're wearing a mask, but I'm on your lap. I baby wipe between customers, which I did before COVID, but now it's a normal precaution rather than a weird thing that I did. Uh... But uh, yeah, that's that's good. Good to know. Good to know that uh, at least one stripper's baby wiping between customers. There's uh, that that's that's great. That's good to know. I just had flashbacks. This is 
a weird thing to have flashbacks, but I've been watching because uh, uh, I just got an upgrade from my phone. I haven't received it yet. I should get it on Monday. Got th- getting the uh, iPhone 12 Pro, I believe it is. But uh, with it, I get the HBO Max for free. And I've checked out Catherine the Great, which I've been uh, wanting to check out because I know a little bit about Catherine the Great. She's the uh, Russian leader um, that I guess you could say (laughs) made Russia great (laughs) as she was uh, she ruled Russia for a very long time. Um, Let's see. Uh, does it say when her rule, her reign was from 1762 to 1796. So over 30 years, she reigned, uh, Russia and, uh, they got, they got Crimea, fun fact, uh, under her reign and created the big port there. It's one of the things they, uh, they did very well under her. And, uh, I don't know if it's known that, uh, Let's see here. It says the coup d'etat. Like her, her husband was murdered. Peter the Third. It's believed that uh, she had him murdered. This is according to Wikipedia. It says the choice of Princess Sophie as wife, the future czar, was one result of the Lupkina conspiracy in which the count. Oh, wait a minute. Is that not the? Uh, it's Peter the Third. Yeah, I guess that was her her husband. Ba-ba-ba. Does it just? I just want to know. Did she have him killed? Is there any proof of that? <laughs> Where does it say Peter? Peter, 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 Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers or some shit. Uh, I'm not sure if there's any actual proof or not that she murdered Peter. Um, but, but yeah, she came to power after Peter was deceased shall we say as uh, believed to be a coup to put her into power um <clears throat> i'm not sure on the exact history on it look that you'll you'll have to do some research on yourself there <laughs> you're yeah on your own but uh the show it's not too bad it's got helen mirren in it and uh i was i was definitely excited to see it um and they actually film a lot of it in uh, St. Petersburg and there's uh, um, <clears throat> let's see if it has some facts about it let's see here we go this is uh, what they have to say the synopsis of Catherine the Great amid scandal no just tell me about okay this is what they have to say. Anyway, Oscar winner Helen Mirren will lead. Min- that's damn it. That's when before it came out. I just want. <laughs> I want to know about the history of it. Mid scandal, intrigue, and immense conflict. Russian Empress Catherine the Great develops a unique and devoted relationship with Grigory Potemkin. So they overcome their adversaries and serves the architects of modern day Russia. Uh, I think it's only really the one season. I could be wrong. But they filmed a lot of it in the uh, Winter Palace, and I think there's an outside scene with fountains that might be at the Peterhof, which I've been to both places. It's pretty cool to see that they uh, 
filmed in those places. But I have to wonder, I mean, this, like, it's a big museum and it's a, like a, <laughs> like a very, uh, everything in there is like worth a lot of fucking money. I mean, it is a big palace. Like all these places they're filming at, they film like these actual like palaces, St. Petersburg. And, you know, that stuff's like really looked after during, you gotta, you know, there's a lot of stuff you can't touch and everything. There's scenes where they're in bed and fucking and such. I mean, you don't get to see hardcore like fucking with, but there's definitely like, I have to wonder, did they make another set? that look kind of like that where it like what are the rules and restrictions of filming inside like a historical place like this this is uh you know the one of the crown jewels of russia i guess at least of st petersburg and you know so much stuff in there is like priceless and they also like it there at the hermitage museum which is the winter palace they also fun fact they shoot cannons off at noon like fucking huge ass cannons, you know, just like a clock. Just say, hey, it's noon, and thankfully I knew that beforehand. I, the tour guide had told me when I went there, and because uh, it shakes the building whenever they fire those fuckers off. But uh, <laughs> it's good to know. Um, but I have to wonder when they're filming in, in a place like that. Like, are, are they allowed to just like lay in like the bed? Do they put like take the old sheets and and certain things out and then like put in like fake props I would imagine they'd have to do something like that they can't like destroy the real shit (laughs) but uh, it is cool to see see it more like how it must have been like during Catherine's time uh, I do enjoy a lot about Russian history Uh, I uh wish I would have went on the uh, boat where the uh, Russian Revolution really started there, which is also there in St. Petersburg. Such such good history there. I mean, you get such a good, uh, I mean, not good as in, <laughs> uh, I mean, there's some terrible history there. Like, you got the uh, Rasputin. I, you know, I stood where... Uh, right outside where Rasputin was murdered, looked in right at the spot, right, one of the spots where they shot him. Like, I didn't go into the palace where they had poisoned him. I stood right outside, and uh, the tour guide, Vladimir, had showed me where uh, <laughs> the stuff was. It's pretty fantastic, pretty fantastic. Now I'm like, man, I wish I would have... Vladimir was pretty cool. I bet I could have had him just, like, recorded him, like, telling some stories, like, on my phone. He probably would have let me do that. That would have been awesome if I could have gotten him to do that on, uh, just to give me a little, like, heads up on, uh, the history of, like, Rasputin. I love the, just, uh, that and, like, the murder of Tsar Nicholas. Man, the Tsars, there was some, some dark history in there. (laughs) I mean, Russia in general. I mean, fuck, you look at Stalinist Stalin's Russia I mean holy fuck that evil bastard but you know it turned Russia into who they are uh, they weren't really industrialized before Stalin forced industrialization on him as he uh, did his purges and fucking just brutally murdered a lot of people he didn't he didn't fuck with Stalin that's that's just that's just a no go. 
Man, I wish I would have had some Angry Orchard instead of this Guinness. This Guinness is a bit too bitter for me. I like me some Guinness, but this is like one and I'm done. It's a, <laughs> it's a bit harsh. But it does have that classic, like I still taste Guinness out of it. But I, I like it to be not quite so harsh. As, uh, man, that drinking that Guinness me gives me flashbacks to the Emerald Island, man. Talking about... Yeah, Russia, watching this uh, Catherine the Great, thinking about when I was in Russia and uh, drinking a Guinness, thinking about Ireland. Uh, and if I shit the bed later, I'm going to think about Russia even more. <laughs> or spray the bread, you know, with some bright green fluid. That would uh, give me some real warm, warm nostalgia, as it were. But... Uh, <laughs> On the other side note, uh, I know I've talked about guitars a lot lately because I've been getting gooned out a little bit. I'm playing like I've gotten really good at playing the James Bond theme. It's pretty tight. Uh, But uh, I do have, I did break down and do one Black Friday purchase on the uh, Musician's Friend because they had about like $30 off with the Black Friday deal on a volume pedal. So I can really rock some like tool esque things because Adam Jones is one that uses a volume pedal a lot, as uh, not just to like bring the volume in and out, but also to take the gain off. You know, add a little bite to it, and uh, add it and take it off, whatever. Uh, but also, I do have should have Monday the new uh, potentiometers. And wires and switches for my Les Paul should be coming in. So next week, I should get the fun experience of taking apart my Les Paul and trying to desolder. Then, of course, solder in the new parts. Now, I didn't get new pickups. Uh, they're uh, Seymour Duncans. I don't know what kind of Seymour Duncans are in there, but they're not the original Epiphone pickups that were in there. Uh, I did have that modded. Uh <clears throat> Kevin Lichtefeld had uh, done that for me years and years ago. But uh, the pots and stuff are just, I mean, they're not very good pots. And unfortunately, too, the since it's its a Korean-made Les Paul and not an American-made Gibson, the holes for the uh, volume pots and, I guess, tone pots, too, are uh, not big enough. So I'm going to have to take a reamer and fucking widen those holes and hopefully I don't fuck it up too bad when I when I go to do that to be able to get in the new uh, <clears throat> the new pots for the volume stuff so I, I guess I'll just try to take a little off and just take a little off because the, the reamer unfortunately I tried to order one of those I think I need three eighths is what I need and the one I have goes up to a half inch I thought I ordered like from what I read on Amazon, maybe they don't stop at three eighths. You have to get like a half inch, but I thought I ordered one that just stops at like three eighths. So if by doing it, you know, there's no way for me to go over three eighths, but unfortunately it goes to half an inch. So if I go to a half an inch on it, I'm thinking it may be too big of a hole. And you know, you don't want to throw a hot dog down a hallway as they say, as uh, <laughs> it might be a little difficult. Maybe I could get like bigger washers or something or uh, nut screws something to uh, hold the hold the fuckers in there I don't know I haven't tried to change them out yet this could get interesting I could really fuck that fucker up in which case I'm gonna be like damn it because I'm just gonna buy a different guitar or just yeah 
but uh, that that'll be interesting. That's the Dark Moon in New York City. That's where I ordered this. They do a lot of custom pickups there. I've never never done quite a mod like that to a guitarist uh, myself. So it'll be interesting to see. I've soldered the biggest thing I've soldered on a guitar is just six months ago or whatever, maybe it was longer than that, I re-soldered the ground wire on my old Stratocaster. My uh, $300, $350 Strat, uh, Mexican Strat. And uh, I didn't, I don't even think I used the right solder. (laughs) I mean, it did the trick for the most part, but I think if I would have done it more properly, I wouldn't have as much buzz. If I've got the right solder and everything now, and a soldering iron that should be much better for it so hopefully hopefully that works out but i i enjoy messing around with with uh i've done a, a little bit of soldering on things like it's i think this time around too now that i have the better soldering iron i made sure i had a stand last time i soldered i did not have a i couldn't find my stand for it and i ended up burning the fuck out of my fingers <laughs> I accidentally grabbing the soldering iron wasn't watching it close enough when I picked it up and I grabbed it by the fucking metal and burnt my damn hand. I might wear gloves this time <laughs> and really watch the stand. I'm going to go over to the muffin man's, the muffin hut, and uh, do it over there and try to uh, try to see how that turns out. And uh, yeah, I think that's about uh, all I really have today. Um, hopefully, Trebejo's working right now, but we're hopefully going to get him on soon to be able to tell his uh, story of uh, the fire. Because, like, I mean, he I've talked to him on the phone a few times now, and he's told the story of getting uh, his mother and, and his dogs out of the house as well as uh, his sister and brother-in-law live in the house next door. And he the, the fire almost hit their house. Like, it kept very close to hitting their house and he woke them up, got them all out. They were third shift. So they were sleeping and he got them out and, uh, <clears throat> they sprayed with a, a water hose. They sprayed water on uh, his sister's house to try to prevent it from catching fire. And thankfully their house did not catch fire, but, uh, he's got some, I mean, it sounded intense. Like the fire, he said it took like 20 minutes for that to burn to the ground. The fire was so intense. But uh, listening to him tell it is much, much more captivating than listening to me tell it. So we hope to get him back soon. And hopefully, although he wanted to do it with his voice all fucked up, which I get. I know I used to enjoy whenever I used to get sick and like the hoarse voice. It was kind of funny for me to do like a podcast. But, uh, you know, his voice, uh, I believe he breathed in quite a bit of smoke, uh, getting everybody out and such. But uh, he sounds a bit hoarse, <laughs> so uh, so hopefully around next week or so, I'll try to work it out so we can get him on. It'll be good stuff. Tell those stories. Uh, other than that, yeah, I guess, I guess uh, that's it. So uh, as always, that's a kid in a wheelchair, not a trash can.